0: And welcome to episode 31 of Feckin' Metal. I am your host Fergal Trainer, And it's been a long time since we heard that intro music to Feckin' Metal, which is of course the original intro music, which was composed by none other than my guest today, Kyle McNeil, singer and guitarist from the band Seven Sisters. Some of you might be familiar with Kyle from the previous time I spoke to him back in September 2020. My first real guest, no offense to my friend Kevin, on Feckin' Metal on episode 2, so if you want to go back and revisit that, it's episode 2 of Feckin' Metal, entitled Kyle McNeil brackets, Seven Sisters. Um, But it was great to catch up with Kyle again, and we have a frank and honest discussion about what he's been up to since September. Uh, So many different things on the cards for Seven Sisters coming up soon, and so many different things have happened in the interim period in the last 8 months. Now, you might be wondering, why am I not talking about Black Sabbath? I've been doing a series of episodes on Black Sabbath, my arc called Arc Sabbath, and I've decided to just take a little break from that while I put together a couple of Different episodes of Feckin' Metal, but I will return to that, fear not. I have plenty of material left for the arc. I'd say it's going to comprise of maybe two or three more episodes, and I will pick up shortly where I left off, which was around the time of 7th Star. Um, But this week, or this time, uh, as it's not really weekly anymore, I'm going to be speaking to Kyle, and we talk about everything from the upcoming new album, Shadow of a Fallen Star Part 1, which will be released in October. But the new single was released last Friday, and it's called... Horizons Eye and I strongly recommend you check that out. Now if you're not familiar at all with the band Seven Sisters they've been on quite the journey since their original demo tape The Warden was released in 2014. Originally featuring a different singer Josh Winard who went on to become the singer of Dark Forest. The band released a number of demos and singles until they released their first full length album in 2016 the self titled Seven Sisters. Uh, they went on to release a new album The Cauldron and the Cross in 2018 and since then they've released a number of singles and EPs. Uh, such as the split single with the band Haunt which was Sea of Dreams slash The Crystal Temple The Crystal Temple being the Seven Sisters track. Campfire Tales which was an acoustic EP of reimagined songs from the back catalogue of Seven Sisters and also a cover version of a Thin Lizzy song there as well. Then they released Echoes of a Distant Time which gathered up all of those previous singles and EPs and well not Campfire Tales but the previous early releases into one package and then Kyle went on to uh, or sorry the band went on to release uh, Eight Bits and Smash Hits which was a uh, again a reimagining of some older seven sisters songs done in the style of eight-bit video game music and we will get into that during my interview with Kyle but just to bring you up to speed if you've never heard anything by the band I'm just going to feature a couple of short clips so you can see the musical journey Seven Sisters have been on since 2014 so here is a song from the original demo The warden uh, which was released in 2014 featuring Josh Winard, this is the title track the warden When
1: the shadows gather, the truth are chanted. He'll bring about destruction with the powers granted But while the gates are guarded, the water never will reach them but He's the swamp protector of the lower reaches we you've treasures you will find So when we bargain with your life? I've got just the prize
0: Alright, so as I mentioned earlier, the band went on to release the uh, first studio album, the self-titled Seven Sisters, and here's a, a clip from the song Cast to the Stars, which closes out the album. see the shift in style and songwriting is clearly evident between their first uh, EP and or the first demo and the first full album and they would go on to evolve into the far more epic style of songwriting which is epitomized by the two-part title track from the 2018 album The Cauldron and The Cross. Here is a clip from that. Then the band went on to release a much more experimental EP, an acoustic reimagining of earlier Seven Sisters songs and also a cover of Thin Lizzy, the excellent track from Johnny the Fox called Borderline an underrated Thin Lizzy track and here's a clip of that So as you can hear, a huge evolution in the songwriting in the musical style of Seven Sisters since the initial EP release in 2014. And that continues with the latest album as well. I have been lucky enough to hear that album. And fans of Cauldron on the Cross, and who've been following the band since the beginning, I would imagine are going to love this album. I would describe it as a brave step forward in the musical evolution of the band. The melodies, the guitar, the general theme, and the general sound of this album is So I would describe it as futuristic and just a huge leap musically from where the band began only seven years ago to where we are now in 2021. That's coming out in October. It's going to be released on Cherry Red Records. It has absolutely stunning artwork. You can see it on the Cherry Red Records website now where it's available for pre-order. And it is an exciting time to be in seven sisters and it's an exciting time to be a fan of the new wave of traditional heavy metal or heavy metal in general a lot of great releases from bands who are categorized as new wave of traditional heavy metal i almost feel using that uh, label is Doing them a disservice. I would nearly call the bands like Seven Sisters, Oath SC, Witch Hazel, the new new wave of British heavy metal rather than the new wave of traditional heavy metal, which can kind of which can kind of suggest that the bands are just mimicking the old style of heavy metal, but there's so much new and innovative sounds coming out of bands from the UK and other places as well. But without further ado, I'm going to bring you to my chat with Kyle, which took place on the 25th of May. I'm very happy to release this episode today to coincide with the recent release of their latest single, Horizons Eye. You can find that on Bandcamp. It's also available on Spotify. I strongly recommend going to the band's Bandcamp site. There's lots of interesting releases, as I mentioned earlier. There's some really different styles of merchandise you know they don't go down the traditional black t-shirts route they have a lot of interesting different colors and variations uh, as i'll get into in my chat with kyle in a minute but yeah i'm gonna leave you with that this is kyle McNeil from seven sisters enjoy You've been a very busy man over the last eight months since I last spoke to you with not just Seven Sisters stuff, which we'll obviously get to, but you have released some eight uh, bits, eight uh, bits and smash hits, which kind of has led on to then your Wizard Terror Studios releases. So let's maybe start with before that, though, your most recent Seven Sisters vinyl release was Echoes of a Distant Time. That was a uh, compilation of your initial demo
2: the warden and uh, and, a, and an early single as well is that right that's right yeah so that was like you said the the warden demo tape which what which was a demo tape um and then the lost in time seven inch single um so yeah it's it's just that they had been out of press for such a long time and people were sort of rediscovering them maybe through finding us through cauldron the cross or our first album and they just never had the chance to get them because they'd sold out sort of way before we'd even put our first album out. So it was just like a nice opportunity to revisit them and and then put them on a physical format for people that wanted it. Really, um, we're not that interested in in going back on ourselves, you know. But it's I think it was just a nice thing to do, and it was quite nostalgic as well. We, we in the packet, you know, the the sort of uh, insert that's in there. There's like loads of old photos, and uh, just Graham did a little write up on each on each release as well, just uh, in the liner notes, and it was just quite nice to revisit that.
0: Good stuff. So, and that was that was released on vinyl, of course. Um, But you know, you you've been putting up on Facebook, um, kind of. I remember the last time we spoke, you were annoyed that somebody was selling your vinyl, uh, your your like limited release vinyl things for like like a massively inflated price on Discogs. And I see that happened again with echoes of a distant time. Somebody was selling it for sixty pounds, and I think you said something like, which means
2: somebody's going to make more money from our music than we will for the next decade, or something like that. Yeah. No. It's it's a sad uh, sort of. Symptom, I suppose, of this collectors market that you become part of if you do these limited releases. Um, I suppose we're gonna have to crack down on it a little bit, maybe. And unless people messages with specific requests, like saying we're buying and it's for you know a bunch of friends, and we might know the person who's getting it. We can't really sell more than like two copies per person anymore because it's just yeah. I don't know. It just it seems to take the fun away from it, really yeah because i i was
0: listening back to our chat we had back last september and uh, you were talking about that and i was wondering then i was going to ask you and you've kind of alluded to it there are there people buying like four or five or ten copies of these like small releases and then selling them on or what do you suspect like is behind this kind of people selling them at these inflated prices
2: um I, i i guess you just have to be a particular type of person to want to profit off uh, uh, an underground band who obviously doesn't make any money out of what they do. Um, the I mean we do get people that buy maybe five or six copies, but I know the people buying them and they're often distros, right? Okay. So they'll be they'll just be buying it and then they'll probably sell it on, maybe you know a a euro or a pound or two more expensive than what they bought it for, but pretty much at cost price for them, and um. And then, or it's it's people that buy from us regularly that are f- that are buying for a group of friends, so they're just saving on postage, which is fine. I, um, but yeah, it's it's the the random customer that pops up and buys like three or four copies, and yeah, then, or, or you see it on Discogs. I just, we just can't do that anymore. It just doesn't. It just ruins it for. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth for us, and it's just there are other people that could have had that copy you know what i mean and that would have enjoyed it and not stuck it on discogs just to sell they would have listened to it and enjoyed the package and everything so yeah it's it's a shame that it happens yeah it's gonna happen we can't stop it and we're not about to start calling everybody out online i know we did with that one person which was quite funny it was a bit of a saga he actually um he or she ended up putting it up for even more money after we berated them a little bit. yeah, it was a stupid, stupid amount of money. Anyway, sorry, let's not dwell on the negative.
0: I just, I was listening back to the chat and then I, I was flicking through your Facebook just to kind of well, with some questions and stuff. And I just noticed that it had happened again with this release. But it seems to have been a very uh, popular hit with fans of Seven Sisters uh, releasing those early songs on vinyl. But I did notice, now, if I go onto your Bandcamp page, I cannot get the likes of The Cauldron on the Cross or your first album on vinyl. Is that something to do with your old record company or your old distribution? Or are those
2: albums going to be made available again at some point on vinyl? Um, that is... Well, the first album, uh, I think there's still a few copies left with High Roller Records. Okay. Um, we can't buy them. They just won't sell them to us because of Brexit, basically. I messaged I messaged them and just asked, like, can we buy the rest of the stock that you have? And it was like, we're not selling anything to to England anymore or Britain. So it's just like, sorry. Um, so that you can still get them from High Roller, but eventually they're going to run out, and it, uh, it sounds like fairly soon. But we have full control over that album now. So maybe some point down the line, when people when there's enough interest, we can repress that ourselves. Uh, with Colder and the Cross, um, we can't get hold of the vinyl anymore off Plastic Head. The you know the people who distribute it that we're still with. Uh, it's been a bit of a weird one with the record label, but um. Yeah, we, we can't get hold of the vinyl anymore, basically. It's available to buy online. You can buy it online, like through Amazon and stuff like that. So you can get it, just not not from us. Yeah. See, I, I tried to order it through Amazon, but then the the,
0: the package arrived in the north, north, and then it was just sent back.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. So I got it, like, on Amazon, because there, there was nowhere else, really, that was, like, worth, like... It was, it was extremely expensive on, like, HMB, for example. Okay. And then, like, it was on Amazon for a little less expensive. And I was looking for smaller things. Like, I did look a high roller, but they were sold out of the Cauldron on the Cross. And I, I looked on your bank camp, obviously. And then, um, yeah, it was the parcel arrived in Northern Ireland and then was sent back to, to Britain. And I was like, oh, right here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I'm sure. I mean, just looking at your Facebook posts, you've kind of experienced
2: that type of messing around as well since Brexit and stuff yourself. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people are going through the same thing. That are, well, both European bands and, and British bands. It's just been a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. I think everybody, I guess the people at the border that are policing this thing and sort of processing them, they might be just being extra picky or extra finicky with things, just because it's been such a drastic change in the amount of paperwork that you have to do to process these things. It's just stupid, man. It's just totally ruined. A lot of things for a lot of people, you know, like uh, fans, fans of heavy metal missing out on being able to get physical copies of things because record labels are just refusing to sell stuff to uh, to Britain, which I, I don't blame them for. You know, it's it, it is a pain in the ass now. But um, yeah, it's just a shame, really, because it, it's th- we're the people that lose out. You know, just the normal people that get, lose out with these things. Um, you know, without trying to veer down a completely political yeah. <laughs> conversation, I have my own opinions. Sorry, on that's all my stuff. <laughs> no, no, it's it, but it's you know, it, it's people like us that lose out ultimately. Yeah. In the end of the day, um, the people that are making these decisions and pushing them through ultimately, you know, and are trying to be shepherding us in through these hard times, they're the ones that just it doesn't affect them at all in in a negative way. Let's put it that way. They're <laughs> definitely making plenty of money off it. Okay, uh, so that was Echoes of a Distant Time, um, and then um,
0: a f- several months back, there was an initiative to save the Black Heart in Camden, um, which I actually mentioned the last time I spoke to you, as I'd been to yeah, see yeah. Visigoth there back in March 2020, which mm-hmm. was the last concerts I've ever been to. Uh, but um, you decided to redo some Seven Sisters songs in the style of 8-bit video game music, and released this as a fundraiser for... Uh, the black or the, with all proceeds going towards the black heart pub in camden which has now been saved actually and yeah is, yeah. is actually currently reopened at the moment
2: yeah i was there uh, a couple of days ago oh really <laughs> yeah excellent uh, yeah yeah it was nice to go back again it was unholy loud in there like it was so noisy you know it's the whole seated uh sort of arrangements you have to book a table in advance and all that kind of stuff which makes zero difference like you're sat next to someone anyway so it's almost pointless but, I was um, going to say, I assume, I assume they don't have music or anything on yet. It's just kind of a socially distant type of thing, is it? Uh, they had, I think they had a band on upstairs or bands on upstairs oh, while really? we were okay. while we were there. But again, it was a similar thing. You had to book a table and sit down, and then watch some some doom metal get played at you while you sat down. <laughs> it's a bit a bit bizarre, yeah. Certainly not like the uh,
0: COVID spreading gigs that I was at there back in March twenty twenty. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, okay, so. What was the inspiration behind doing the video game music? Like I I bought that release and listened to it and it was really good. I enjoyed it, but I, also it was kind of a quite out of left field for a band like Seven Sisters. Uh, so what what inspired you to redo your mm. own
2: songs in that style? Um I I guess it came about through through the Wizard Tower Studio stuff which you've mentioned before. Um which is just a little side project I started myself just to keep myself busy. Um and because I've had, you know, lots of spare time over the course of the lockdown. And I'm a huge fan of sort of retro video games in general. And the music that was on those games is so iconic. Um, you know, people still remember the songs even today. And it's just like the songs are almost as important as the visuals and the gameplay. They're just as nostalgic for some people. Um, so I just kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit like that. I've I've sort of unwittingly stumbled into the dungeon synth scene. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know this thing existed, which is a bit of a. I was when I discovered it. I was like, "How did I not know this was here?" Because it's it's just perfect for my kind of. I, I still love playing video games, um, right. and it's p- particularly those sort of old school RPG type things, and it's just perfect for that because it's that's a, it's music made for that, um, and I, I suppose. Yeah, I'm a i I'm a little bit more focused on the retro video game stuff than the Dungeon Synth thing. But mm. through that, I then just came up with the idea to just do some Seven Sisters songs in that style just to help out the Black Art. Because we did the fundraiser where we raffled off uh some test pressings to help out and and that was just for the general save the music uh crowdfunding, which you know, any any venue could apply for, but black art for some reason or other, couldn't really um, qualify for that. So it was specifically for them because they sort of missed out on that. So, um, so for people who aren't familiar with the term Dungeon Synth, could you explain to <laughs> the listener what that is exactly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm no expert, but to me, the best way I can describe it is it's an entire genre dedicated to character select music. You know the character select screen. Yeah, I do. When it's yeah. like re- really chilled out sort of music, and it's quite nice, and it's it sort of goes on loop um, after a little bit. It, it, that's just kind of what it. That's that's kind of what it is. But there's lots of scope within the dungeon synth uh, aesthetic, I suppose. You have more fantasy based stuff, and then you have you know some quite some more like horror based stuff where it's about creating like an atmosphere. It's all very atmospheric though. Um, and I suppose the 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 most well the most famous stuff within the dungeon music synth uh, history because it's been going for quite a while now. Um, it's it's all very atmospheric and quite uh, I don't know melancholic and but it's very nice. You can sort of listen to it and just you could probably read or zone out and. Just sort of switch off a little bit. It's quite nice actually. Um, some of it gets a bit repetitive, but you know the good stuff is good. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> we have. Uh, so we had echoes of a distant time. We had eight uh,
0: bits and smash hits, which was all seven sisters' music either just re-released or redone. But then you moved into the um, Wizard Tower releases. So you had Construct Nine, turnum uh, Beyond the Lost Realm, and Sundown. Of Paradise Street, was that it? That's the one, Sundown in Paradise Street. In in Um, Paradise Street, sorry. Um, So you've released a number of different, um, I don't know what you call them, EPs, I suppose, of this type of music. Uh, The first one, obviously, was a fundraiser, but the next ones are just your own music that you're releasing. Mm -hmm. Is this this just kind of like a little side project to keep you occupied? Is it because of lockdown, or is it something that you will continue to do
2: when things are back to normal again? I'm I'm still going to continue it. The the idea is that I still have one more EP to do within this four EP set. um And basically, they're going to serve as a little portfolio for me to approach games developers with because I want to be ah. able to start writing music for those kind of games. There's loads of games out there now that use that pixel art aesthetic and uh, are still doing like the old-school RPG arcade-type things. And uh, I'd just like to write some music for stuff like that, so... It's a bit of a it's a bit of a working portfolio type thing as well. Oh, very interesting. Okay. So, it's not just mindless uh, video
0: game nostalgia. There's a there's a plan in action here.
2: There's a plan. Yeah. Because <laughs> all the EPs are sort of various um styles of game. So, the first one being like a sci-fi horror type thing uh which is that like Construct 9 and then Beyond the Lost Realm is like fantasy RPG, so like Zelda that kind of sort of stuff. And then the third one is like um yeah, it's like Street Fighter, like arcade side scrollers and stuff like that. It's a bit more a bit more funky and, and upbeat than the other ones. Very good. Um so right um we have you've also got a new album coming up we'll
0: get to that in a minute but um just a few other things that caught my eye from some stuff you've been up to recently uh we talked on the, the last uh, time you, you were on the on the show um about the fact that you released your first demo as, as a cassette and you were kind of doing it as a piss take um but now I see you fully embraced the whole cassettes format uh, in the last 8 months since I spoke to you and actually the main body of physical music that's available now on your Bandcamp is cassettes so has there been a huge upsurge that you've noticed in cassettes in the last few months is that what the, the the public want or is it just easier to do cassettes or why the huge kind of
2: jump towards issuing cassettes yeah um it's it's a good question I'm not too sure is the honest answer okay. I just like the look of them uh, I think they're really cool and um, but yeah, I think there is a. There's still a market for them. I think bands, even now, like bands like Vulture, you know, they just released their their new album, and you know, Metal Blade are doing cassette um, issues of of that album and and the previous albums as well and stuff like that. I think people are still into them. Um, as from my point of view, they're much cheaper to make than vinyl, so it's a little bit easier to put you know to put up the the upfront costs. And there's so many options when it comes to customising the packaging and the colours of the tapes and everything, you can make a really cool little uh little package. And I guess it's just nostalgic. You know, they're they're quite cute. And we've had people asking for our stuff on tape since it's been released. So again, it's just another thing that during lockdown, while we've been waiting for this album to come out, our next album, it's just one thing that we've been able to do that we've been meaning to do for quite some time. And we've just had a bit of cash to be able to pay for it to be done so it's just sort of ticking off the the to-do list that we had sort of piling up and have
0: these been popular like are they, are they, are they doing well for you or
2: they're doing okay yeah i think i actually get them um tomorrow uh they, they should arrive so um yeah i guess uh i want to take some more photos of them and people actually see what they look like i'm sure we'll sell some more um but the idea wasn't just to you know, we, we didn't. It wasn't to like sell out straight away. It was just a case of this had been something we've been meaning to do for a while. So here they are, and we just had a bit of fun with it. Okay. Uh, and how about how about this uh, pink T-shirt thing? <laughs> <laughs> this this definitely started as a piss take, right? Yeah, one one hundred percent. Yeah, I just um, I just got reminded because we've got we have a fan club on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and I say fan club in inverted commas. It was just. A way of trying to bypass the Facebook algorithm, um, which has just put a absolute sh- stranglehold on everyone with the recent updates. Um, and it's just trying to engage with more people because, you know, social media is such a drag. And um, yeah, I just got reminded of an old patch that we did on the release of Cauldron and the Cross, and we only, I think we only made like 50 of them or so. And uh, they were a really cool little design done by Jack. Who does most of our t-shirt design stuff from Seventh Bell artwork, and he, yeah, I just I just rejig that basically, and then as a joke, stuck it on a pink t-shirt and then posted it in the fan club thing, and it was like, and then everybody wanted one all of a sudden. Yeah, so, so for I, people who don't know, yeah. who
0: might be listening, um, there's a a white bodied a uh, Seven Sisters Raglan, like a long sleeved t-shirt with pink sleeves and a kind of a is it a turquoisey kind of or bluish kind of Seven Sisters logo in the middle.
2: Yeah, it's like a three-color thing. So it's turquoise yeah. uh, logo with like a, a dark a blue shadow uh, with some stars mm. pinging off it, like little light reflection stars. And then behind it, two pink crossed swords which match the color of the sleeves. Yeah, and they match really which well, which are pink. So, like to me, this is kind
0: of like um, people buying this. Are they do, do you think people are doing it ironically or people actually want to wear this proudly or, or are people like saying I'm so metal I will wear a fucking pink t-shirt like what's what, what's going on
2: <laughs> Yeah um uh, maybe all of okay. those maybe maybe it's a bit of irony maybe it's a bit of but I was uh, for me it was total irony but then they've they've turned up and have got them in the box downstairs ready to pack them all tonight and they're actually really fucking cool. Like I pulled them out of the box, I'm like, oh shit, these are like the best t-shirts we've ever done. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: I don't know. I I don't think I could I could see myself wearing one, but you know, whoever wants to, fair play to them. I know that you don't really go for the traditional black t-shirts. You you released a grey one there a while back. You've had um, you've had navy blue with kind of white and various different colours, but mm. you don't really veer
2: towards the traditional black. That's obviously deliberate, is it? Yeah, very much mm. so. I mean, we have obviously got black t-shirts knocking around yeah. that we've that we've sold out of. But yeah, I mean there's enough black metal t shirts in the world. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just we just wanted to do something a little bit different. I guess we like that. We kinda like that. We're a little bit like yeah. it's it's just our self deprecating humour, sort yeah. of breaching into our merch tastes. And well. you actually refer to this pink one as the pink monstrosity.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. which is yeah. now sold out
2: on your on your bank Sold out for pre yeah. order, is it? Or just sold out
0: entirely. Well, is it the
2: whole run. Um yeah, we just so we've only bought the pre- what we sold. Right, the okay, yeah. Um there are actually a few more copies, so you know, by the time this episode comes out they might well be sold out. Because oh, yeah. um, there's only like, I don't know, maybe two of each size extra that we're gonna stick up. Okay, okay.
0: Well there you go. Um all right, and then you mentioned Facebook. I was gonna bring that up. So you I think it was in April you moved towards the um the haunt model of uh, creating a fan club online. Yeah. Um instead of the getting buried in people's news feeds model, which is obviously difficult for everybody. So have things improved since you set up your own dedicate? It's essentially a group, basically, a Seven Sisters group, that you have to request permission yeah. to join. But have things improved for you since you've set up that group or, or fan club?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just nice. You know, there's some there's some cool things that have come with it, the T-shirt being one of them, and we're trying to do some exclusive things. So some of the cassette tapes we did were our the colors are like fan club exclusives and things like that and we'll do more things along those lines going forward um but yeah it's just nice you know it, it's very easy to get bogged down in the, the negative aspects of social media and this for me and for the band in you know as a whole it just brings something a bit more positive back into it all because people are sharing stuff on the group like memories of gigs that they've been to or just making stupid stuff like we've been partridged a couple of times by one guy someone's putting our music along to like scenes of alan partridge <laughs> which is fucking incredible like uh that's it i've made it like, yeah. i can just quit now i didn't moment. know
0: partridge was a verb now but that that's a new one to me yeah
2: <laughs> It is now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very good. Okay, so um how do you find Facebook as a platform? Is that your preferred platform? I know I, I mentioned to you recently that like like I noticed you weren't on Twitter. I I've often kind of wanted to tag you with something on Twitter because that's
2: where I operate mainly and like I always kind of remember it's mm. like no you're not on Twitter. Yeah, that totally passed me by. I'm a bit of a fossil when it comes to these sort of things. Um admittedly, but yeah, I I I wouldn't even say I have a preferred uh, social platform um i fucking love it uh, with with all of my ping but i sort of have to do it because you it's part and parcel of trying to do what we do as a band and trying to if you're trying to grow a fan base without gigging you absolutely need social media so we're sort of stuck So talking about social
0: media, you put this up in January. um, Man, trying to communicate and promote music entirely through social media is fucking draining. For starters, it's nigh on impossible to get anyone to pay attention and it feels completely disingenuous. I didn't quite realise how much I rely on playing shows to prop up any feelings of self-worth I might have. I don't even feel like a musician anymore, I just feel like some fossil trying to beat tiktokers at their own game music is the third or fourth most important part of content in inverted commas yes i realise i sound like a complete boomer yes i need help no i'm not okay i want my fucking life back so (laughs) what i was asking have things improved that was in january now you set up the facebook group in in april do you still feel like that or are you in a better place with with the whole social media and that aspect of things
2: yeah i suppose i'm probably feeling a little bit more positive than i was when i posted (laughs) that as a whole I still, I still love social media as much as I did when I posted that post. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you, I actually, you know what, Um, after posting that, Colin from Witch Hazel uh, reached out to me and was just sort of like, you all right, man, like sort of thing. Yeah. And then he, we sort of had a few chats and we had a video call together and stuff and he gave me loads of advice on how to, how to be better at social media, stuff that he'd been researching himself. And, you know, that was such a boost to me. It was really nice of him to do that. So the shout out to Colin from Witches of being an absolute top geezer. Sorry, it's Colin, is it? Colin, yeah, yeah. Good, good man, Colin. And he, uh, so, yeah, after that, I sort of felt a bit more light-spirited about things and like, yeah, yeah, maybe I can do this. And yeah, there's a balance to be had certainly because you can spend your entire life on it if you really want to but um you certainly can i, yeah. I don't even have a band to promote and just for the for the
0: podcast i can spend a, an awful lot of time on twitter um and now yeah. i do i actually quite enjoy it interacting with people but at the same time when you realize you've been on it for five hours and you're like that was your evening you're like hold on a second what <laughs> what have i what have i done um okay um so uh, another thing you mentioned in that post was the self worth you uh you get from playing gigs so so you've gigs booked for Friday the 29th of April in the Black Heart that is obviously 2022 but you've
2: won for 28th of October in 2021 in Newcastle as well that's right and we'll actually um soon be announcing maybe even by the time this uh, podcast is out that um we we're going to do a bunch of UK dates in that same week, so we'll be doing like London, Manchester, Southampton, and then uh, a few other places as well, Newcastle. So all around the October date, yeah, all around that that sort of same same week. So we will be doing a few a few shows, um, definitely with Toledo Steel, maybe with somebody else. I'm not too sure yet. I think they need to decide whether they can be bothered to jump on or not. So yeah, we'll um we'll see, but that should be announced fairly soon. Um, and that will be sort of around the re- the release of our next album as well which is sort of nicely timed right
0: so sorry yeah you mentioned their toledo steel so they're actually a-, a band i've listened to over the last year and a half or so are they kind of like um friends of yours like or do you know them from the scene or do you just just
2: book them because they're kind of the same genre as you or no no yeah we've been friends for years um uh, all all of the british metal bands kind of are
0: really um is there like a, is there is there a fraternity that's what i want to believe as a fan but i know like life doesn't actually work out like that in real life sometimes but is there some kind of fraternity amongst the british no
2: bands i guess so um uh, uh, yeah um everybody's sort of tied to each other through th- through one band or another so i i actually met graham um uh, the other guitarist of seven sisters for anybody that doesn't know um at an Eliminator gig, right. So an Eliminator have been going for for years now, almost as long as Dark Forest have, and yeah, obviously, obviously. So we met at an Eliminator show. Um, I actually first an Eliminator were based in Lancaster at the time. I actually first saw Witch Hazel in Lancaster and Amulet. I saw Amulet's first ever gig at a venue in in Lancaster, um, and then later became friends with all them as well. I almost played guitar in Witch Hazel once. Um, Colin, Colin needed a. There was a time where there were. I think he was sort of struggling keeping members down, um, and he needed somebody to play guitar for him for a few shows. And I, and I, I sort of learnt some songs, but then it, it never actually happened, which I'm a bit gutted about because I really like Witch Hazel as a fan. <laughs> yeah, their their newest album is absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. I've I've been, yeah, I've been listening to it to quite a lot. Um. Yeah. I did sing for Eliminator at a show once in Ireland, actually. We played, it was our first overseas gig ever. We played in Dublin, um, the No Sleep Till Dublin Festival.
0: Were you? Did you play in Dublin?
2: Yeah. uh, When was that? I mean, fucking years ago, man. Like. uh, As Seven Sisters you played in Dublin? Yeah, yeah, Seven Sisters. We played the No Sleep No Sleep Dublin. Um, an eliminator played the same day, and they needed a singer, so I sang. Was for that the, in Faber McGee's or something? I think it was in Faber McGee's. Yeah.
0: Ah, right, yeah.
2: Do you have any idea what year it would have been? Oh, um, possibly two thousand and fifteen. Fuck! Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know about you. I didn't know about the band back then. Yeah, but,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, I missed out on so much of that stuff because I just wasn't wasn't involved enough. You know, it right, wasn't. Okay. I wasn't aware of what was going on. And then
2: I hear things like that and I'm just like, ah, bollocks. <laughs> I, think, I think that was the year that Attic headlined. Um, right. And they they were awesome. But yeah, yeah, I sang for Eliminator at a show. Um, and obviously Josh sang on our, so Josh Winnard sang on our demo tape. Yeah. It wasn't me singing. And then he used to play guitar in Witch Hazel. And now he sings for Dark Forest. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's a, yeah, okay, right. So there's a lot of incest going on. You kind yeah, of like well uh, there's a lot of that going along on with the Swedish power metal bands as well. I noticed there's so much kind of crossed membership from different bands and everybody ends up in everyone else's band at some point. Yeah.
2: Why why did you end up singing for Eliminator? Was it just a one-off to stand in? Yeah, it was just a one-off. They needed a singer and they had this gig booked and they, they didn't really want to pass up on it. So All right, very good. Very interesting stuff. Okay. So, uh you have a new album coming out. Now, we
0: spoke back in September. You told me the name of the album and that it was going to be a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of a concept album. And um, that's all the same. Like, no, no, none of those details have changed. So, um, I, I, you, you were kind enough to share an advanced copy of the album with me. I listened to it today and I th- thought it was excellent. Um, Thank you. A huge shift, definitely, musically. It's, it's It feels a lot more concepty than The Cauldron and the Cross, I'd say, even though that was a concept itself. Um, but for the listeners who won't have heard it yet, how would you describe the
2: the themes of this album and the inspiration for it? Um, the themes overall, I think, are probably a lot darker. I think the overall feel of the album might be a little bit darker and denser than The Cauldron and the Cross. Um the Cauldron Across has those folky elements to it, which was wholly intentional because of what we were singing about. Um, and there's, there's less of that on this album and more, I don't know, just it, it sounds more sci-fi to me. It sounds bigger and it sounds, like I say, more dense and sort of grand, much like the theme of the story is. You know, it's about a person who's trying to escape this planet that's, you know, in the core there's this alien mind trapped in a crystal and you know she's contacted by it through her dreams and then she sort of decides to set it free and off she goes and the the album the part 1 ends where she's just left the planet and she's going on a journey to go back to the the place where the alien was first discovered by her ancestors so it's quite a big story you know there's like a lot of scope to it so i think we we wanted to portray that and there's new territory that we've covered sonically, I think, on this new album. There's One track in particular is is heavier than anything we've done before. Um, is that Truth's Burden? Yeah, exactly. The last track on the album is, I mean, I would fit that right in the bracket of that sort of epic metal type thing. You know, that sort of Atlantean Codex-esque atmosphere I, I- that they...
0: I was listening to that earlier, and I've just written down this is the heaviest song so far. It was actually the final song as well. But um, I've also written Gallop, <laughs> an exclamation mark. <laughs> it's extremely heavy, and there's a definite gallop there. And that's something... That, it was kind of prevalent on your on your other stuff, maybe your first album, but I, I just never heard it as pronounced as that on that particular song. It's just like, wow, this is different. And, and I don't know. like, yeah, it's, it's a definite
2: progression, I think, from your previous releases. Yeah. Yeah, I think it sounds... More mature than Cauldron does, and that might be down to my voice mainly because my voice is well. I I'm actually okay with my singing voice now.
1: I li- I listen, <laughs> finally, <laughs> to,
2: I finally, I listen to those old recordings, and all I can do is cringe. Um, but on this one, I you know I put some work in, and I did plenty of practice beforehand, which I didn't do when I recorded the Cauldron and the Cross, um, and I think it shows. Yeah, and I I think
0: maybe the, your um the campfire did, did 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 recording re-recording your old songs acoustically um for the campfire tales did that influence your songwriting for this album because there's a lot of acoustic stuff especially the opening uh, instrumental that leads into the next song uh, Andromeda Rising um that that acoustic playing there really reminds me of the campfire tales release did that have an influence on how you wrote songs after you did it
2: um actually. Probably the other way around because oh <laughs> I'd, I'd written the I'd written the intro to the album almost straight away after we finished recording Colder on the Cross I had that lying around for years right before okay. actually getting round to using it so yeah I suppose I don't know maybe they sort of just fed into one another um, but I really like that style of of playing and music anyway so it's I guess it was just a another extension of whether whether campfire Tales is an extension of that or the other way around i'm not too sure but that sort of layering of acoustic guitars and building an atmosphere that way i really enjoy doing things like that so
0: very good other notes i took while listening to it were that your vocals are definitely the strongest they've ever been in my opinion but also i found that the melodies were really strong but less obvious than melodies you've written in the past so like when you're listening to it the notes don't definitely go where you would expect them to, but it still fits in musically with the with the song, and I thought that was great. And I, I've actually written here the melodies don't sound like heavy metal melodies, but they still fit the songs perfectly. Oh, that cool. makes any
2: sense? No, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm, well, I'm happy that it's come across that way for for certain. Um, a big focus for me on this record was to write choruses, like actual choruses. Like we've had a few songs here and there where I would say they have like a really catchy chorus yeah, and, and you know, catchy in not in a bad way because it can be a bit of a dirty word sometimes. Yeah, It's a bit poppy <laughs> or whatever, but, you know, Number of the Beast is basically a pop song that's dressed in a heavy metal format. So, you know, whatever. So it was just a case of like really focusing on having those hooks and then working back from there. A lot of the songs started uh, with the chorus and then sort of working back. It's like start with the biggest point. And then how do I get to that point then? Rather than, you know, you come in with the best riff you've ever written and then it's all just downhill from there. So, Yeah.
0: Well, these songs, like there's three in a row there, Beyond the Black Stars, uh, The the Artifice and Whispers in the Dark. And for each one, I've written kind of the same comments. Like the the melodies are very strong, but they don't go where you, exactly where you'd expect them to. And it's it's refreshingly different than cool. maybe even Cauldron on the Cross, which not, not to say that they were obvious melodies, but they, in... In comparison to these, they do go to places that you'd be more expecting them to go to than the melodies on this album. Maybe yeah. that, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm sorry to people who haven't listened to it, but <laughs> you'll be able to hear it. you do have a single coming out, uh Horizon's Eye, or it's already out now at this point. But um why have you chosen that song as the single out of interest?
2: Um partly because it's a bit of an anti single. Okay. Uh, we Yeah, it's long enough. It's long enough, yeah, it's almost seven minutes long. So but it also sort of sums up everything that we do in the album in a song. I think all the territory that we cover, um, it has the twin lead guitars, which you'd expect from us. And then, you know, it's got a big chorus and then it has the sort of middle instrumental section, which goes, you know, somewhere totally different and then back in again for sort of those big key change choruses and things like that. So I think it's a good summary of, of what we sound like on this album. Very good. Um, uh, you put up a
0: a meme there on I think it was in the uh, the Facebook group recently, which was like, it's been it's been doing the rounds. But it's a guy. It's like, oh man, this band, their yeah. new music, <laughs> it's just not like their old music. And yeah. uh, and you were like, our fans after they hear the new album, do you really mm-hmm. think that, or do you really fear that the people are gonna uh are not going to like this, or is it just a, I suppose what every artist fears to some degree that if you do change a bit,
2: that it won't be received well. Um, no, when, I mean, when I post things like that, it's, it's very sarcastic. Okay. (laughs) I was just wondering in, in in the nicest, in the nicest way possible, I could not give two fucks what anybody else thinks about my music. You know, I write music to satisfy myself. It's very sort of narcissistic really, but I write the music that I want to hear. Um, and maybe, I mean, obviously I do care what people think. I shouldn't say that. Um, it's more a case of. What people might think about the music that I've written doesn't affect the way that I would write music. It's right. be a nicer way of putting it. Um,
0: no, but I know I've heard many people say this over the years, from the likes of Neil Young to whoever else. It's like, or there's a great line in a song by the Divine Comedy of all bands actually, and it's the writer writes for himself, not for you. Um, hmm. And I don't know if that's a quote or if it's a, it's an original lyric by Neil Hannon, but uh, that always stuck with me actually.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I, that's very much the way that I think about things as well. Um, if people are sort of willing to come along on the journey, then that's a bonus. You know, that's the fun part. Um, afterwards, after the fact, it's just that this is the music that I wanted to write, or that we wanted to write, and that we feel is the best representation of who we are at this moment in time. And I think this is probably. I mean, in I know every band says it's about every album that they release, but <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Go on. <laughs> well and truly, the strongest thing that we've put together. Um, it's. You know, it's the best it's the best songwriting that we've that we've done and it's the best production. You know, my voice is sounding better than it ever has. And even bits like the the guitar work as well, the solos, I think we really uh, especially I mean, for me personally, I really focused on them and sort of did a bit of a a Randy Rhodes mentality where I just composed them and I wrote the solos note for note because I really wanted them to be kind of like you described the melodies, not maybe maybe not the most obvious choices of what you would put there. Um and there's Graham and I have a really nice contrast when it comes to that style of guitar playing. He's like a million notes a second and he does really go for it. And he plays that lead guitar, heavy metal lead guitar thing really well. Like he really does that. And I sort of like to juxtapose that with maybe being a bit more controlled and melodic. So it's nice to have that that playing going on, but I think we've really hit that quite well on this one as well, like the guitar work and yeah. I mean, I know the time and time again that the guitar stuff is fantastic, and just the
0: instrumental passages or the dual guitar instrumental passages, or just so many of them on the album. Like, um, so uh, that's but that's an interesting thing you said there about writing your guitar solo note for note. So, are you writing that in slow motion almost, or are you pl- like and saying this note would sound good here, this note would sound good here, and then playing it to the speed that it should be in the song, or are you
2: playing something going and then going back and going right? what exactly did I play there? um yeah, probably a little bit more the second okay second way of doing things um much much less like writing a vocal melody the way that I like to do it is per- perhaps play the the section that I'm gonna solo over and then maybe in my head or just with my voice like over the top of it and if if it comes to me in my head first then it's gonna be infinitely more music musical than just where my fingers go naturally over the same patterns and the same shapes and but then it's a little bit of trial and error so i might I might sort of um sit there for an hour or so and just play it over and over again and force myself into different areas on the fretboard um and then just see what comes out and then generally blend the best bits of what I've just done in that hour or so. Right, yeah, and then and then sort of have a final composition at the end of it. That's like that's like the Mudlang style.
0: Uh,
2: yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> chopped up Angus's solos
0: that sort of to the point that Angus didn't know what the solos were. Or, or the solos <laughs> were when the album came out. Uh, obviously, you do. Um, and then, all right, so I think the last time we spoke, you were saying for the Cauldron and the Cross that Graham was writing the lyrics. Is that right? And you would write the the music and the melodies.
2: That's still the same kind of split. Um. Yeah, I mean, maybe less so on this one, just because I came up with the concept of the album myself as well. So I sort of had to take a bit more charge in the lyrics, just because it. Of, there were things that I was thinking of that I just hadn't thought to explain to Graham. You know what I mean? He wouldn't, he wouldn't ever know the story as well as I'd know it. So, but he's obviously still contributed lyrically, and I would send him a draft of things, and I play the melody that I had on the guitar or on the synth whatever just on top of the demo that I've done so the melody's there so he knows you know the syllables and the and the notes that he can work with and then we'll just sort of combine ideas but mo- most of it was me on this one um for for almost everything really because I, it was just just one of those albums I guess I just had a bit of a an idea of what I wanted it to be so i just i had the time as well you know I'm sat here I don't really have a job per se, you know, apart from just doing this music thing. So I had the time to sit down and really focus on things. And again, the last time we spoke, you were talking about how if you
0: limit the scope of what you have to write about, it actually makes you more creative. Was this album another case of that where you decided on a concept and then it flowed out of you?
2: Yeah, it really set the tone for me. Like when you're talking about the, the, the note choices maybe aren't quite so obvious, that... I think that was intentional, you know, with it being a sci-fi record, and you want to sort of portray some sort of futuristic aesthetic, even through the music. Then you, I was, you know, um, intentionally choosing chords and notes that were outside of the scale that that I was in, um, just to just to give it that sort of uneasy, sometimes uneasy, sometimes quite mystical sounding, um sort of sort of thing and then yeah it, it after sort of consciously doing that a few times i think the whole album just kind of took a a bit of a turn that way anyway so is, is that
0: like you know you're saying notes outside of the scale now I, I am not i do not play an instrument um but is that like anti-musician is that anti-music theory to do things like that because i've heard people been criticized
2: for that in the past no I'd, i mean it's not like we're playing atonal jazz um you're not <laughs> you, Yeah. <laughs> um so it's not it's it's in by by any stretch of the imagination, it's not like out of the of the uh of the tone. No, you know, it's not like listening to an Alan Holdsworth record or something like that. But there's you know, there's like you say, there's no choices that you might not expect um in there for sure. But it's more a case of um just being a little bit more decisive. With the the chords and the harmony underneath not so much the, the the lead guitar parts per se and it was like right okay well I'd maybe like play I'd maybe play something and sing over the top of it and think well that's that's okay you know there's something there but how do I make it more interesting and it's it's almost like the John Mayer way of doing things where he writes like a really basic pop song and then in the middle eight he'll just throw in like a couple of jazzy chords mmm and that's that it's a John Mayer song. Hey, I, um, I don't really know John Mayer. I have to say sorry. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> he's uh, me. <laughs> Yeah, he's he, he's oh, he's like he's a pop star, but he's you know he plays guitar and he sings. He's he he's done a few blues records and things like that. He's he's a brilliant songwriter, and that's in in his early stuff. He did that quite a lot, where he would just write a fairly standard, you know, rocky country pop song, I suppose, and then in the middle eight, in the bridge, he's throwing a few berkeley jazz chords you know and uh and and sort of fruit it up it's a little bit like that it's just a bit it's like how can we take what we've done before and maybe push it a step further but not so it makes people uncomfortable that might be fans of our music it's just a case of making things interesting like oh i didn't expect that yeah sort of although there are certainly lots of moments like
0: that on it definitely um so your new album is going to be out on cherry red uh records
2: yeah, well it's still it's still dissonance productions. Right. That is it is now owned by Cherry Red Records. Ah, okay. They were I wasn't um, sure. So it seems yeah. I like, was having a look at that
0: record label there. It seems like there's a lot of um heritage acts, maybe some punk, a bit of prog, but not much heavy metal going on on that. Yeah. Is dissonance then the heavy metal
2: sub label of Cherry? Is that how it works? Ba- basically that's what we're gonna be now, yeah. Ah, okay. Um I think Cherry Red started the guy that um the guy that owns Cherry Red, his first break was signing Dead Kennedy's.
0: Okay, yeah, no, I saw their name mentioned alright, yeah, on, on the yeah, list of yeah. acts that they do. Um yeah, it just didn't seem like there was much heavy metal there. So but I'd say, I didn't realise I thought you'd moved from Dissonance then because I didn't see the name
2: reference, but that's right, okay, I understand now. Yeah, uh, it's it all happened a bit sort of under the radar, really. Um but we're now yeah, we're now part of the, the Cherry Red umbrella, but it's still Dissonance Productions. Okay. 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 Interesting.
0: Fair enough. And uh, so this gig, uh, Desert Fest London. Um, I hadn't heard of this before, but that's f- scheduled for April of next year. Um, and you're actually playing in the Black Heart in Camden. So it seems to be one of these festivals that spread out over different venues with different lineups playing the different nights. Uh, has this been going for a while, or
2: as is, is this like an established thing? Yeah. No. It's it's a very it's like a pretty big deal actually. Okay. Um, kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Um since I moved down to London, um, which was like, you know, nine nine years ago or so, it's always been a big event every year. Right. And like you say, they basically take over Camden, so it's just a bunch of a bunch of stages, which are just venues. Um and they'll have various acts on over those and then it's sort of culminating into the biggest acts on the biggest stage towards the end of the night. Um, we're playing at the Black Heart, which is was one of the stages there. It's it's normally like a a doom stoner festival. It was kind of weird, really, to get approached by them and get asked to get played because we I wouldn't ever say that we're the type of band that would do that normally. Yeah, but I'm happy to do it because it's a really big festival. It's a really cool place. It's cool to be part of. Like Camden just becomes. One giant venue. Basically. Yeah, that sounds
0: attractive now. Um, I'd be interested in that myself. Um, it's it reminds me kind of a bit of the thing we talked about last time, the Siege of Limerick, where I said Seven Sisters played, right. but you were kind of a bit of a f- well, not not a fish out of water, but your style of music was a bit different to the overall style of the festival, but it was still yeah, for sure. like enjoyable to to attend yeah as a fan. Um all right so interesting stuff coming up you have got your single uh, which is out now I'm trying to think into the future obviously I'm recording this in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, your single is out now. Um is there any are there any special formats or anything for the new album that you want to discuss or is it just is it coming out on vinyl and any anything
2: extra going along with it? It will be uh, actually just Today, the day that we're recording this, got confirmed that we'll be doing cassettes. Oh, very good! <laughs> so it'll be it'll be on CD, vinyl, and cassette, and then obviously you know like streaming and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff as well. Excellent stuff! Yeah. And is, is there going to be some new merch to go along with it? I hope so. Yes, I've been working on some sort of single cover art, you know, by myself. So we, I've I've just finished those up. So I reckon maybe one or two of those will end up working their way into a merch design or two. We, we, we've we caned the market with t-shirts pretty you know over the the years that we've been active so i'm trying to try not to overload it too much with t-shirts but obviously we'll probably do at least one design and then we'll think of some other things to do as well very good because the album cover itself is
0: actually quite nice uh is that an established artist who did that for you or is it somebody you've worked with before
2: yeah so it's a it's a chap called ryan t hancock okay and we we approached him really last minute to get the artwork done because we had another guy. It was actually the guy that did the artwork for Cauldron the Cross. And we asked him in August 2020 uh, if he wanted to do it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then one thing led to another and his schedule just didn't allow it, basically. So we had a bit of a panic and it was we got told by the label, like, yeah, it'd be really good if you can get something finished for the end of February um you know february 2021 this year and uh so and by that time it was like halfway through february we we're like oh shit right okay we need to find something and then i was just scrolling instagram uh one of the only times where just doing the mindless scrolling thing has really paid off <laughs> and that's, like um i think it wasn't his page it was just another page that i follow called like sci- sci-fi art or something shared something that he did and it was like, oh, fuck, that's cool. So I checked him out and then just messaged him on, you know, just on the off chance that it was available. And yeah, just got stuck on it straight away. It was really easy to work with and just super professional and ended up coming up with something that was just like way beyond what we could have imagined. Um, like the whole thing, like the, what you've seen as uh, on the SoundCloud um, sort of link that I sent is just the front cover, it's actually going to be a gatefold. Oh, excellent. So he's done he's done one thing as like a, a big picture and it folds out and it looks fucking immense. Like somewhere in time kind of thing. Yeah, um, very much so. Um
0: Yeah, it, it, I think I said to you, it reminds me of like an old Yes cover or something like that. Not necessarily mm. the sci-fi aspect, in, but the detail and the, the nature of the image just looked like those yeah, old 70s covers. Totally, like, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: Which um, I love. Like I'm a huge Roger Dean fan. Yeah, um I absolutely love his work. I've got a, one of his thing in a print actually that i need to hang up but uh yeah like I, I love that style of stuff so it's totally i was totally fanboying when he sent it over i was just like yes this is perfect can, can i ask something that's just intrigued
0: me as a fan um of artwork and the whole process behind it if somebody if you commission a piece of art from somebody for your album cover does it end there like or do they
2: get a kind of a cut if you put that on a t-shirt or something um, no, generally, what will happen is you pay a fee, yeah, and then you get that. If it's, it's like and it's an exclusive bit of artwork, yeah, obviously, well, you have to credit him and stuff like that, yeah. But um, I imagine maybe like the more established artists might work up deals like that, yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, you know, for example, the guy that created the artwork for Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, I'm sure. That's, yeah, exactly. He probably got compensated. That, that image has been used
0: now for like nearly 50 years. And yeah. the poor bastard only I, got like 200 pounds back in
2: 1973 or
0: something.
2: <laughs> <like>. <laughs> but I, I I imagine he's probably been compensated for that later on. You know, it does happen. Um, it happens in, in songwriting as well and all sorts of stuff, you know, where maybe like a, a particular line or bit of music you know like a, maybe like a little guitar melody that's played by a session musician on a recording becomes a selling point of the song yeah and then maybe like 30 years later when it's really established that they you actually you know what the guitar line sells the song then the the session musician then gets credited in the songwriting and things like that um so yeah i'm sure things like that ha- happen with artists but in 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 our case most of the time it's just a one time fee that we pay and then that's the artwork that we use is our artwork just wondering yeah i've always just wondered that i was again thinking of somebody like derek
0: riggs for iron maiden and like the trooper imagery like is still used so prominently today, yeah yeah from everything Mm -hmm. from t-shirts to backdrops to bloody coasters or whatever like so yeah i've always (laughs) just been wondering about that like and and, and as a band at your level is like is it something where you just go you just pay and then you use it and then as you've explained, yeah. then maybe in the future something will change. Um okay. That's good stuff. Um yeah, I'll probably I'll wrap it up there. Um so is there anywhere that you would encourage people to contact you? So you have your own Facebook group you mentioned, and
2: Bandcamp, do you want to um mention anything else? Yeah, you can find us on on most social media platforms. If you just type in Seven Sisters Heavy Metal, that's our tagline for everything. So for Bandcamp, for Facebook, for Instagram, um, you know, it's that it's seven sisters heavy metal, all one word. And even our group on Facebook, if you wanted to join and just check it out and see what it was like, it's just on groups forward slash seven sisters heavy metal. All right, so. That was a really
0: enjoyable chat I had with Kyle McNeil. Uh, Really looking forward to the new album being released. I've pre-ordered a copy myself from Cherry Red Records. If you liked what you heard earlier, I suggest you do the same. Uh, Also, it's enjoyable to keep up with the Wizard Tower Studios releases, as Kyle discussed there, each one having a different theme. And it's just a different style of music but uh, also really melodic and really catchy. And if you like that electronic sounding music, um, it's kind of rooted in video game music, give that a try as well. The releases are extremely good value on Bandcamp, if you wanna go and have a look at that. I also enjoyed um, our chat about the, the role of social media and how it can be a drag being in a band and having to you know, engage in social media, especially when you're not doing gigs, but that is the world we live in these days. And just generally found it really insightful and interesting to hear about Kyle's approach to songwriting. So, keep an eye out for the new Seven Sisters album in October, Shadow of a Fallen Star Part 1, which is, of course, Part 1 of a two-part album series, and you can go and find the new single, Horizons Eye, as I said, on Bandcamp, on Spotify, you can pre-order the album at Cherry Red Records if you like. That's going to do it for this episode of Feckin' Metal. The next episode is also going to be a non-Ark Sabbath episode, but we will return to the Ark in due course. That's going to do it for me, thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, you can get me at at feckinmetalcast on Twitter or feckinmetal at gmail.com I'm going to leave you with a clip from the new Seven Sisters single. This is from the upcoming album. It's called Horizons Eye. <laughs>